And there's been a number of people go, wow, $400 for a conference, that's pretty expensive. But when you consider uh, the value of the investment, it really isn't. And, uh, you know, one thing is we don't want anybody to not go just because of money. But really, I would like, I would challenge you, um, at 485 sounds like a lot, but compared to many other things, it isn't. Uh, most brake jobs in a car cost more than that. In fact, if I take my car to the shop and they say it's only 485, I'm usually happy because it's, you know, it's usually 800 or 1,000. <clears> so, um, the idea is investing that amount into your marriage can reap a benefit that will last for many, many years. Now, the couple that are, that's coming to teach, Barry and Lori, are, are the pastors in Bethel Church in Redding, California, under Bill Johnson, who developed this curriculum, and they're, they go all over the world. They only take uh, a limited number of churches in the U.S. each year. It's, they're very, very uh, 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 restrictive as to where they go. And quite frankly... Um, it's an amazing feat that we managed to get them. There are other people that teach it, but these are the, this is the couple that actually wrote it. And the reason that they, we got it was because uh, of a relationship. Um, uh, for some of you who know the Yoders who attend, used to attend here are now part of our church in Vandalia. Um, Jessica's brother, um, Matt Stutzman, Somehow got connected. He's he knows Bill Johnson, and he got connected with uh, the, the, these people. They had him there in Baltimore, and because of the friendship, uh, when when we contacted Barry and Lori, they were like, "Oh, you're you're Matt's uh, sister. Oh, well, okay. In that case, we'll come." You know, and so <clears throat> I, I just can't wait till they come and they see Vandalia. <laughs> <laughs> because if you've been there, there isn't really a town. There's just, there's just a road. <laughs> it's like used to be a town. So, you know, we we we, we do need. Uh, we had had to guarantee 45 couples, all right, uh, to register. And so we do need you to register and um, you know believe. Let's be praying that God brings in. We are uh, trying to advertise this. It's open to anyone, uh, and this is a rare opportunity. To get this conference, most often you'd have to travel to a different state and end up spending far more than the $485. And so it's really a bargain. It does include um, Thursday and Friday, so you're going to have to take two days off work if you work. Uh, but it, it, again, it's worth it. It's worth investing in your marriage. It is considered the best um, workshop on marriage. And, you know, every marriage needs help, right? I mean, every marriage does. So wherever you are on the scale, if your marriage is having in a very difficult season, well, you need to go. <laughs> um, it's cheaper than a divorce. <laughs> it's cheaper than uh, a couple of weeks of uh, professional counseling, frankly. Uh, but if your marriage is great, it can be better, and you can learn tools uh, to help others. So, again, um, there's more information about it on the flyer and online as well. All right, so let's uh, continue and jump into the sermon. Uh, I do ask for grace. I am overcoming jet lag, or I'm experiencing jet lag because I just, got back from Japan, and uh, so I'll greet you in Japanese, ohayo gozaimasu, which means good morning in Japanese. <coughs> ohayo gozaimasu. <laughs> ohayo gozaimasu. Uh, is uh, Dennis or uh, Adrian here? 
Daniel, Dennis, <laughs> no, they're already gone. They could say it much better than I. <laughs> um, so it's 14 hours, and I got back uh, Tuesday night, but it takes a few days to get the acclimated, so I'm still kind of in the jet lag zone and trying to catch up, so bear with me. We are continuing in our series of going through our core values, the fire values, father heart, intimacy, restoration, and then extending the kingdom. And this is the last month of that. And so we're talking about extending Christ's kingdom and all that that involves. And uh, over this quarter, we've already gone through being an ambassador or being ambassadors for Christ, which is really our identity as Christ's representatives and what that means and um, in, in how we live our lives and kind of dealt with some of the issues involved in that. We took a month uh, talking about Breaking barriers, overcoming obstacles to sharing the faith, overcoming obstacles of extending uh, Christ's kingdom in the earth. And this month, we're talking about building bridges, which is uh, basically creating opportunities and finding opportunities to extend the kingdom, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ in our lives in our communities. Last week, uh, Kathy spoke on ministering to your family, and that's often one of the biggest obstacles, actually, in uh, our uh, witnessing is is reaching those that we are related to, and it takes uh, special care and special ways to minister to those who you're related to. I thought she did a fantastic job, uh, and we want to continue uh, talking about how to extend Christ's kingdom by creating opportunities. Today, I, my message is really, uh, it's titled, it's, it's about Jesus. Okay, so what's the reason for the season? Jesus! One, two, three, Jesus! There you go. <laughs> Help me out here, folks. Come on. <laughs> Alright, so Jesus is the reason for the season. That's a nice little tagline. Uh, but he's also the reason for everything. Okay, uh, he, he is the reason, and so it's all about Jesus. Uh, Jesus built the ultimate bridge in the incarnation when he bridged the gap between heaven and humanity uh, by, in his body, coming to earth and representing God here on earth. And so he's the ultimate bridge builder. But we're supposed to, as Christians, be Christ-like. And so we're called to build bridges, to make connections. And, you know, to be overly simplistic, a bridge implies that there's two sides that needs to be, you know, spanned, okay? Uh, and the gospel is not just about the lost. <clears throat> there's two sides and there's a span in between. And so if the lost are on one side and God is on the other side or Jesus is on the other side, then there's a, there's a, there's a gap that needs to be uh, uh, spanned across. And, and, and the idea is, well, if you have the lost, and let's say the, the bridge itself would be, in this case, the messengers, us, but if you don't have it connected to Jesus, it really just becomes not a bridge, but a plank, right? <laughs> you walk off and fall, right? And so Jesus is the most important part of the equation, 
Right? It's not about the loss. It's not about us as messengers as much as it is about Jesus himself. And so that, again, I kind of feel like it's like overly simplistic, but hopefully by the end of the service you'll, you'll understand, uh, you know, where, where we're going with this and, and, um, the essence of what I'm trying to communicate. <laughs> and if not, Give me grace. I'm, I'm dealing with jet lag. <laughs> All right. So right from the beginning, God speaking in the garden. He's actually in this part. He's, he's already addressed Adam and Eve, and he's speaking to the serpent. And this was at the fall. And, you know, it's quite interesting that most, if not all, of the significant themes of Scripture can be found, uh, the origin can be found right in that Genesis story in the in the in the story of the of creation or the story of the of of the garden and the fall and we find the gospel here in Genesis 3:15 it says I God says will put enmity between you he's speaking to the serpent and the woman between your seed and her seed he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel okay and so this was a promise embedded in the the curse really god that that section is is god explaining to adam and eve declaring over them and to the serpent the the consequence of the fall this happened right after they were uh, eve was deceived and took a bite of the apple and then adam willingly violated god's will and and took a bite as well um uh violating God's command to not eat of that tree. And in doing so, they uh, were demonstrating, uh, you know, what, what really happened there was the one rule that God had established in the, their whole life, is that you can do whatever you want, you can eat whatever you want, but just don't eat of this tree. And so, in giving them one restriction, it gave them an opportunity to break that Restriction, you know, and for them to uh, demonstrate really uh, uh, a rejection of God's authority in their life. And so that's what happened. And then God said, well, there's consequences to that, that you've broken relationship, you've violated God's, uh, God's will and, and word, and the consequences was going to be a curse that came on them, and there's many things. But in the midst of that curse is actually a promise. And we see that between your seed and her seed. So the offspring of Eve, says he, the seed, the descendant of Eve, will bruise your head, speaking of the serpent, and he shall bruise, uh, and you shall bruise his heel. And so a bruise on the heel is not a mortal wound. Right? Okay. But bruising the head, or it can be crushing the head is a mortal wound. Now, Jesus did die on the cross, but because He was sinless, because He was divine, death had no power over Him. And so even though Satan, the deceiver, bruised His heel, it wasn't enough to overpower Jesus Christ, and He rose from the dead, and in doing so, He was able to crush, or the New Testament says, to destroy the works of the devil. And so we have the Gospel in Genesis chapter 3, right in the response uh, to the sin. And then we see it again in God's covenant with Abraham, found in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. This is God speaking to Abraham after Abraham had gone up on the mountain with his son 
his only son, that he and his wife had waited years and years. God had promised Abraham a descendant, and he just wasn't able to have a son and for many, many years. And he was actually, I think, 100 years old, right? Uh, and he had uh, his son finally, and then the son grew up. I think he was about 10 or 12 at this point. And then God said, you need to sacrifice your son. And so it was a test. God was testing Abraham's motive. Do you trust me? Do you trust that I will keep my word? And Abraham, uh, really, in an unbelievable uh, series of events, uh, chose to follow God's voice and take his son to the top of the mountain. And he, and he put him on an altar and he was about to actually literally sacrifice him. And God stopped him with an angel and said, You've proven your faithfulness. You've believed me. And it's accounted to you as righteousness. And he said, and then as a part of that, it says, In your seed, your descendant, all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So in the word to Adam and Eve, in the word to Abraham, we find this promise. <clears throat> Uh, Paul, writing in the New Testament, actually uh, explains what was going on or the meaning of what happened with Abraham for us so that we can understand it in a New Testament fulfillment. So what was actually happening in those words to Abraham? What was God actually communicating? <clears throat> and it's very, very powerful. Um, I think it's just amazing that we can read in the New Testament uh, Paul, the apostle who wrote about half the New Testament, explaining to us how to understand these Old Testament verses. And he says, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So Paul is actually saying, or God using Paul in the New Testament, is saying, listen, the gospel didn't start. The gospel wasn't first communicated in the book of Matthew. It wasn't communicated by John the Baptist or Jesus. The gospel was actually communicated thousands of years earlier in the promise to Abraham. Okay, that the good news was actually proclaimed way back then. And he goes on to say in Galatians 3.16, a little further down, it says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. I think Paul is making a very significant, very important part, and God is giving us a key to understanding the promises made to Abraham and understanding the context and the meaning of really the whole Old Testament when he points out that the promise was made to the seed. Okay? The seed, the descendant. And not just to all the descendants, but to a specific descendant. That there was a reason God worded it that way was because the promise was going to be fulfilled by one person. And that person is Christ, is Jesus. All right. So that doesn't mean that the promise is to all the descendants of Abraham. Now there's a special place in the economy of God and, 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 and throughout Scripture for the general descendants of, of Abraham. But the promise and the fulfillment is to the person Jesus Christ, the Messiah. All of the promises 
are in Him. Amen. Okay? So the promises are fulfilled through the One, through Jesus Christ. And what I want to emphasize is that the promise of crushing the Satan's head and the promise of being a blessing to all the nations was actually made to the seed. Okay? The promise was made to Jesus. It wasn't just made to all the lost people. Okay? That someday a Savior would come. Now, there are promises in Scripture, or actually the result of the promises in Scripture is that there's going to be a Savior to the world. But the promise was to the Messiah. Does this make sense? Okay. Uh, Even in the word spoken to Eve, is that the seed is going to crush Satan's head, the deceiver's head. And to Abraham, that the promises that that seed, that descendant, is going to be a blessing to all the nations. Right? And so all the nations will be blessed through your descendant. That descendant is going to be something really special. And so the subject, if you will, of the promise is Jesus. All right? Let's look at it a little more clearly. We can uh, find this talked about in the Psalms as well. When the psalmist prophesies in Psalm 2, he goes, I will declare... The decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. This is well known to be a prophetic statement concerning the Messiah. So when the psalmist, or David was, was writing this and singing it, he was actually tapping in to the prophetic word of God, uttering a promise from God that uh, was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And I just love it. This is one of the places in Scripture, and there's a few, there's not many, but there's a few, where we can actually tap in and hear or read the uh, communication within the Trinity. It's like we're hacking into the Trinity's email system. (laughs) That was funny. <laughs> you guys are quiet this morning. We need more caffeine in the coffee. All right. <laughs> Maybe we'll have Red Bull instead. Okay. Would you like that? So we get to hear the dialogue between the Father and the Son. Wow. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? I think it's amazing. And we hear that the Father is making a promise to Jesus, the Son. And it's revealed in Scripture to give us an understanding of what is really going on. And the Father is promising the Son that He's going to give Him the nations for His inheritance. The ends of the earth for your possession. Okay, And that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> another uh, Scripture later on in, in the Psalms it has uh, to do with the same thing. Another prophetic promise to the Messiah says, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and He rules over the nations. And I love this scripture because God, our God, He's the Father, and He's a God that's concerned with families. Alright? God loves families. Families are important. 
to God. He created humanity to live in families because He is a Father and it represents, it reproduces a reflection of God, of, of, of the relationship that He wants us to have with Him and with one another. And even though our families often are broken and fractured, there's still this ideal. And that God here promises that all the families of the nations, in other words, Every people group, every lineage, every ethnicity throughout the whole world is going to worship Jesus Christ. Somehow God's going to make it so that the gospel gets to the ends of the earth and that that message is actually going to come. And the result of it is that they're going to worship Jesus. Okay, And so again, the focus is on Jesus. The, 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 the gospel is really a promise to Jesus. Right, uh, and the kingdom is the Lord's. He rules over all the nations. Uh, let's see here. Did I skip one? Oh, yeah. Next one. Isaiah uh, makes this clear as well. Another prophecy concerning the Messiah. Uh, God communicates in, in prophecy to His Son. It says, "Indeed, He says, God said, it is too small a thing that you should be My servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel." I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. I think this is amazing because this was written by Hebrew, okay? <laughs> by a one of the tribe, a descendant of Jacob. And, and this prophet is saying it's too small of a thing for you just to redeem one nation or one people group, just the descendants of Abraham. That's, that's too little. That's too little for Jesus. And that was always the case. Going all the way back to Abraham, the promise to Abraham, going all the way back to the promise uh, in the garden that God was going to redeem all of humanity. Okay? He's a light. The Messiah is going to come, not just for one people group, but for all people groups, the whole world. And um, <clears throat> I don't know, I'm going to interject this. This is kind of funny. You can take this as a prophetic sign, if you will. Um, but something happened during worship, and it was kind of funny. How many saw the dog in church? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, Narnia. <laughs> so a, a a dog snuck in the church during worship, and it was back in the family room, and we drag him out, and he got back in. And we drag him back out, okay? And Tori came up and said, Dad, there's a dog that keeps trying to get in the church. I'm like, what? A dog in the church? <laughs> so I went out there, and of course all the kids, they're like, oh, it's a nice dog. <laughs> it's a nice dog, but he's not going to come in the church. we got to scare him away. So I kind of scared the kids. Sorry, kids. <clears throat> so I'm yelling at the dog, get out of here, get out of here. And the dog doesn't want to leave. He just wants to. <laughs> he wants to, the dog wants to come to church, <laughs> and so we tied it up. And I, I'm pretty sure it's it's the neighbor's dog because they walk their dogs on the trail, and he's just excited that there's people around. <laughs> but then I thought this is a prophetic sign, and you could say oh, I'm stretching it, but I don't think it's a stretch because the dog in Scripture is symbolic of Gentiles. Okay, come on, I receive it. As a you know, supernatural things are not seen as supernatural things if you don't think they're supernatural things. You can disregard 
Anything. What's that? Bill Johnson had a roadrunner. In church? Wow, they're pretty rare. Uh, dogs are more common. <laughs> so I'm saying is, you have to see that I... And so I'm like, I told Torres, this is a prophetic sign that the Gentiles are being brought... And I'm teaching on this. Come on! And we can't keep them out. I mean, that's the reality. It's like, we try to keep them out and they keep coming in. <laughs> so Father, bring in the Gentiles. Hallelujah. And the purpose of it is it's, it's a promise to Jesus. It's actually not about the Gentiles. It's not about us. It's a promise to Jesus. That's the point of my message. I'm trying to clarify here. Um, uh, that the promise was of Christ that His reign would be over the whole earth. And it shifts the focus and the motive of presenting the gospel from the lost to the King. Alright? The reason we share the gospel is because of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not in any way, and please don't misunderstand me for saying that we should be less seeker-minded. Okay? How we minister should look like how Jesus ministered. And that's something I, I hold very dear. He came to serve. Alright? He told stories that the people that were listening could understand because he used words and terminologies and phrases and, and expressions that they understood. He did ministry in a way that attracted the non-religious people. And so it's appropriate for uh, Christian churches to, do, to minister kind of like Jesus did, right? Don't you think so? <laughs> and so I'm not saying this is... We, we, we don't worry about how the Gentiles uh, or the non-Christians in this case, because most of us are all Gentiles anyway, but how the unchurched people would react. Actually, yeah, we should be concerned how the unchurched people uh, 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 react to how we present the gospel because our purpose is to represent Jesus to them. All right? But it's, it's for Jesus' sake. It's for Jesus' sake. That's the point. That we... Uh, 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 our reason and our motive for building bridges and reaching the lost is not for the lost's sake, but for Jesus' sake. Because the promise was to Jesus. Alright? Jesus says the same thing in the Great Commission. What gives us the authority and the responsibility to share the gospel was when Jesus said to his disciples, uh, Jesus came in Matthew 28 and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So that promise uh, spoken of in the Psalms, that promise made to Abraham uh, that is a descendant, that promise uh, foreshadowed in the garden, Jesus said, it's happened. The authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So the commission to go is based on Jesus' authority. Right, it's because of His authority it's, uh, it is the reason we go. Nothing else is required. In other words, we don't need any other reason. We don't need any other authority. We don't need any other uh, device or, or purpose other than the fact that Jesus' authority, because of the person and place of Jesus Christ, compels us to go 
and represent him to the world. And anything else only distracts us. We add to our reason for going any other reason. It actually distracts us from being what Jesus called us to be or doing what Jesus called us to do. Does that make sense? Because there's a lot of people going around the world doing good things. And praise God and thank be thankful for them. I'm glad there's people in, you know, fighting to stop malaria. God bless them. You know, let's, I think we should spend a lot more money on that kind of stuff. I frankly think we're going to, as a culture, going to be, as a, as, a, as a nation, be judged by how much money we waste on, on silly things <clears throat> when, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of people are starving or dying uh, uh, with, uh, because of things that could be easily solved. But, that's not what this verse is talking about. <laughs> this verse is talking about eternal consequences and, and ministering the salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ and that uh, understanding that it's for Jesus, it's based on Jesus' authority that we go. Uh, we do not preach the gospel because people are perishing. Think about that for a minute. We preach because Jesus is King. Right? So, this is really what I'm trying to communicate here. Right? Okay, people are perishing, but that's not the motivation to preach the gospel. Alright? The motivation must be the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. When, when that's the motivation, then we preach from the right place and we have the right message. Uh, we don't preach based on the needs of people, but on the person of Jesus Christ. It keeps our motivation right. It keeps our objective true. When people's needs override the place of Christ, that's what leads to compromising the message and ultimately rendering it useless. Okay? Now, people have need. Jesus did come to save the lost. But He came to demonstrate who He is. It's, it's a, the Gospel, the message is about Jesus. And so as we preach Jesus, it's not dependent on their perceived or their real needs. Not that their needs are unimportant, but we're, we're ambassadors for King Jesus. Right? And when, see, what happens is when we compromise and we, we see the needs in people and we try to make the, because the need is so great, we try to change the message because we're motivated not by representing Jesus, but born by connecting with these lost people, then it leads to compromising the message to make it more palatable. But all that really does is make it useless. It doesn't help them, ultimately, and it doesn't help the purpose of Jesus. And we end up getting sidetracked. This happens continuously. It's happening right now in our culture with, with the extreme grace message and the message that says, oh, sin doesn't matter. Uh, it just, it's, it's saddening because the message that's meant to set people free is diluted. <clears throat> and it's, I think it's because they misunderstand the real motive for preaching the gospel. Okay? So, <clears throat> to take the next step, First uh, Peter uh, 3.15 says, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give, uh, ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. How many know evangelism is really important? Right? 
We believe that, right? How many know that the Bible, the New Testament, almost never talks about it? I challenge you to go through the New Testament and find how many verses specifically talk about talking to unsaved people about Jesus Christ. Especially the epistles. Okay? All of the epistles, which is the instructions to the church on how to do church. Alright? You know that. Acts is the story of the early church. And we see Paul, we see... We see the stories of Paul, uh, but even a lot of the stories of Paul is, is, is Paul talking to the churches. <laughs> and then if you read all the epistles, it's only mentioned a few times. Like, I just discovered this about within the last year. I'm like, man, you know, the evangelism is not really found in the New Testament very much. <clears throat> and I'm not saying it's not important. Okay? And so the verses that do address it, we should give... Uh, significant attention to and have our understanding of evangelism shaped by those verses. Okay? <laughs> Did I lose everybody there? <laughs> or are you just thinking about it? <laughs> You're trying to think, how many verses does he really talk? <laughs> well, go search it out. I have. There's not that many. Uh, <clears throat> which surprised me. Uh, and, and the reason, I think, part of it is when we understand the, Lord, the person of Jesus Christ, when we get this right, it will motivate the message. Okay, when we, when we really meet Jesus Christ, when we are connected relationally, when we're plugged in right with Jesus, it's Him through us that will reach the world. And anything less than that, if we just try to go out and communicate a message or tell people or convince people of truths, it's not going to actually accomplish the purpose. All right. So, so, so much of the Scripture is about us getting connected with God because we need to be connected with God in order for this to work. Because God wants to reach every family on earth. And it's only going to work His way. But in this verse, which is one of the few that specifically is talking about uh, speaking the gospel to the lost, it starts out, I'm going to read it in the New Living uh, Translation, it says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks you about your Christian hope, be ready to explain it. Can I ask you, what is the emphasis of that verse? What do you think is the main point of what Peter is saying in that, in that, that phrase? Worshiping Jesus, right? I mean, the focus, the subject, what he, the command is worship Christ as Lord of your life or set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. And, as a consequence, if someone asks you, why are you so filled with hope? Why is your life different? Be ready to explain it. And I think we can learn something vital about Building bridges here. About impacting the community. Look around. How many empty chairs are there? We got stacks of other chairs. Alright? The seating capacity is nowhere near full. There's tens of thousands. I've said this how many times? There's, there's approximately 250,000 people that live in the Kalamazoo market. Alright? About 15% of those go to church on any given Sunday. So we're talking what? 150 to 200,000 people that have no meaningful connection or don't demonstrate it. You know, sir, some of those are Christians that don't go to church, given. 
small percentage. Right? Most of them, they, they don't have any meaningful connection with God their Father. They don't know how to, uh, you know, they don't have anybody to call on when they're struggling with temptation or fear or doubt. You know? And who's going to reach them if not us? Why are we going to reach them? Because they're lost? No. Because Jesus Christ died for their sin. Jesus Christ deserves the worship of every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. Jesus Christ deserves... He paid the price. We, we remembered it today. That was for every man, woman, and child in Kalamazoo County. Alright? And until they all worship Him, our job's not done. doesn't matter if we have... A hundred people in this room, or a thousand people, or ten thousand people. It has no consequence on it. Because we don't measure it based on the lost. We measure it based on Christ. Our motivation is not their need. Our motivation is His place, His purpose, His person. Alright? And so that verse begins with worship uh, and lordship comes first and produces the fruit of sharing the gospel. So we share with everyone. It's not based on their need. So some people, it's very easy to see that they're needy. Other people, you don't see their need. But you don't know what's happening in their life. You don't know what they're going through. And if you just, if you resolve it in your heart that, hey, I'm not going to decide who I'm going to share the gospel with based on who I think needs it. I'm going to decide who I'm going to share the gospel with based on who Jesus is. All of a sudden, we start sharing the gospel with everyone, which is what we're called to. <laughs> okay, uh, you share regardless of your condition, as well as regardless of their condition. So it's not based on how worthy you are. Okay, guess what? You did some horrible sin last night, and yeah, you repented of it, but you still feel shameful. Can you witness? Absolutely, because it's not about you. <laughs> you can even say. I did something really stupid yesterday. I feel really bad about it, but I know Jesus loves me. I know that if I died now, I'd, be, I'd spend eternity with Him because it's not about me. You know, it's about His righteousness. Not it's not about whether I know the answer to their question. You know, hopefully you don't. Then you can say it's not about knowing the answers to the question. It's about knowing Jesus, who answers all the questions. Does that make sense? <clears throat> okay. So our response. Oh, this is another thing. It should, the response of people shouldn't affect how zealous or willing we are. So in other words, if you share the gospel with somebody and they, they say, that's stupid, I don't want to have anything to do with that, you go, praise God. That's okay. Because it's not whether or not they... Re- we, sometimes we, we spend so much time trying to figure out how to share the gospel so that people will respond positively that we never end up sharing the gospel with anybody. Does this make sense? When I share with an atheist and they say, I don't believe in God, I say, that's okay. He believes in you. And they always look at me like, (laughs) I'm like, seriously, he believes in you. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) It's like you can't lose. All right? Because it doesn't matter how they respond. I heard of one church actually in Japan. Dennis was telling me this pastor's church has grown to thousands simply by teaching all of the members to, 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 to try to get 40 people to say no. Alright? See if you can go out and, and see if you can get, talk to at least 40 people and see if you can get, uh, you know, maybe invite them to church. 
or invite them to study scripture or talk about Jesus. And the, the truth is, you won't make it to 40. Someone's going to, after 8 or 9 or 10, will say, yeah, sure, I'd like to come. Or, sure, I, I don't mind talking about Jesus. And, and, and if you consistently do that, uh, thousands of people are one. Simply because you stop pre-qualifying and you stop sharing the gospel based on on how you feel or how you think they need it, and you start doing it based on the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the worship of Jesus Christ. Okay, stop. Uh, we don't share, be- uh, share because you love Jesus, not necessarily the person you're sharing with. <laughs> and sometimes we don't share the gospel because we just don't want to spend eternity with that person. <laughs> That's okay. Heaven's big. They can live on the other side. <laughs> but it's not based on whether we love this person. It's based on their love for Jesus. Right? And if that's your motivation, it changes everything, folks. It changes everything. Share is an act of worship, not duty. All right? And so I'm going to have Jen come up, and she's going to close this. Give her a hand. I just love the truths that were spoken this morning. I love it partly because I can identify with it. When I was about 14,